Hello, and welcome to the Best Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Stay tuned. I'm really excited to have Lucy Lampy on the program today. Uh, I came across her and the work that she's doing in the world. Uh, several months ago, we got a chance to jump on an Instagram live, and uh, I, I see her as a, like a renaissance woman. She does a lot of different things. She's kicking ass. Um, and one of the other things that I really like about her is that she pulls back the curtain on some of the difficulties that she's uh, experienced and navigated. And so she brings a lot of depth and breadth to her material while also having just a clear thread of humor and levity. And I think that really helps us connect with her and her message and, uh, yeah, my sense of her work is that it it is raw and real and playful and invites us back into a, a more direct and and empowering relationship with life and the energies that flow through it. So Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me here. I, I'm, I'm honored to be in this space with you and that, you know, we got to do the live and kind of dip our toes in and then we get to go deeper in this conversation gonna be good <laughs> yeah right on so there's definitely a strong uh at least on your instagram there's a strong flavor and 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 a kind of a focus on sensuality sexuality intimate connection can you tell me a little bit about um how that came to be a big part of of you and your work and how you express yourself in the world and and i think that'll allow us to kind of track through some threads that will be really really invaluable for the audience yes well, one big distinction that I would love to make just right off the bat is the distinction between the pure, raw, sexual, you know, explicit elements and the erotic, the eroticism, which is that sense of aliveness that really is, is what we're craving with our partners and within ourselves. Um, and and that's really what I love to highlight when people are like, oh, you guys must be having sex all day, every day. It's like, no, no, that's not what this is. But that's the only context in which culturally we are conditioned to experience that kind of energy. So our own journey really took us through, I mean, it it, it started with um, a big catalyst of pain. Yeah. So there was, there was about a period of two and a half years where Ryan started to have these mysterious pains in his body, in his nerves, and his nervous system. And um, that was just, that was a, a period of just losing identity. You know, all of the things that he was able to do and that he put stock in as a father that made him valuable as a father, the things that he would take our kids out to do. Um, he couldn't do that. And he couldn't even bend over to change a diaper most of the time, let alone take them surfing or skating. Um, and then to feel like you're trapped in your body and in in, in excruciating pain 24-7, it, it does something to you, you know? And during that time, I also gave birth to our fourth child and I went through my own autoimmune disorder that my body, that was my body's way of saying, okay, uh, th this isn't working, it's not sustainable. Um, and so all of that, in the midst of regular life and trying to pay bills and trying to figure out this career thing and that and making all that work, that was my big wake-up call to um, to open myself to solutions that I 
was previously closed off to. So this led me on this whole spiritual journey and awakening and deconstruction, and there's a lot in there. But where the eros and the the, the sexual liberation came within that was through really initially just letting myself be emotionally honest. And when Ryan started to get on that trajectory too, because he saw that it was real, it wasn't just some kind of fad that I was trying to manipulate him to change himself, you know, because he totally thought that at first. <laughs> like, get away from me with that Tony Robbins shit. Uh, literally words from his mouth across the kitchen counter that day. And, um, and that just set us both on a trajectory of the, the deeper healing, inner child healing, facing these darker, edgier parts of ourselves that we judged. Um, and that's really the foundation that allows for true integrated sexuality to be expressed. Um, so this has been years and years in the making, you know, mind you, I really want to highlight that for anyone listening. It's not something that, you know, you you get into a little bit of kinky play and all of a sudden everything's amazing. Uh, but it's really taking those steps to being in integrity with yourself and creating more safety and trust and reverence in the relationship um, and then making creating more space for all of the erotic stuff to come through. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you said a couple of things in there that I want to kind of pull out. Uh, you talked about your autoimmune condition as a signal from your body. And, and yeah. I think... You know, I think our our system, our human system, is is not separate. It's not like mind up here and body down there. Yeah. We live in a body mind. I really like that way of framing it, and it's giving us information all the time about its state. Like how how is the body mind doing? And so yeah. when we have things like illnesses and ailments, as we would frame them in a Western context, instead of coming in and thinking, oh, like how do I fix the problem or how do I get rid of the symptom? to receive it as a message, which is sort of what I hear you talking about. It's like, oh, yes. if we don't receive it as a message, it'll keep recycling back. And, and Gabor Mate talks a lot about yes. this. It's like, if you Love don't it. learn how to say no, your body will say no through illness. And um, and so I, I would love to get a little bit more into how, how you came about like bringing harmony back into your system. And you said one other thing that I think will be a part of, hopefully a part of the answer that you give, which is you talked about emotional honesty. And, and I think, you know, in our world today, we have a lot of people suffering, struggling, you know, uses of pharmaceuticals is is staggering to me when I look at the numbers of people who have some kind of condition they're taking a, a, a pill for. Um, and that there's, there's a, a, a growing clarity and desire, I believe, of people who know that, that the solution needs to be a, a kind of bringing pieces together into harmony versus kind of yeah. cutting things out or fixing them or, you know, taking a pill to make something go away. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about emotional honesty and and a little bit more about the, the process of bringing more harmony and wholeness to your mind-body. Yeah. Well, um, the piece about the end, the deeper healing, the deeper, uh, the deeper work, that really was the, the big shift in trajectory into healing. Um, not just getting rid of symptoms. Because in that whole time that I had the autoimmune disorder, for example, um, I spent so much time, energy, money, mental stress, going to all these specialists, taking all these prescriptions, using all these steroid creams that I knew were just horrible for me, but I didn't add nothing. I just 
I had no solutions. I was doing elimination diet after elimination diet, trying to figure out where is this coming from? Of course, you can imagine that this whole time, the stress of trying to fix the problem was just making it worse. And so I finally got to a point where uh, one day I woke up and my whole face was swollen. My eyes could barely open and I had some clients to go meet with that morning and they were like, are you okay? Should you be here? <laughs> it's like, I have to, I have to, I don't know what's happening. And they had to inject me with steroid shots just to get the swelling to go down. It was crazy. Um, but after that point, you know, I said, I don't understand what's happening, but I feel like fighting it is not the answer. And um, I did find Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and I was just open enough to it at the time that I was was open. You know, I thought, okay, maybe I'll try some things in my mind and, and see what happens. And literally, okay, th this is this is crazy. Logically speaking, I sat and I did this meditation that was inspired through you reading about Joe's Dispenza's work. And I, I envisioned for six weeks every single day that all of the inflamed cells in my body were turning from red to blue. And I just did that. I just did that. And I just practiced accepting my cells, my body, the burning um, exactly as it was. And just like showering it with this loving, glowing energy. And I, and and within six weeks, I didn't have it anymore. So all of the stuff that I had done, um, coming to a place of genuine loving acceptance was where the healing was. And in the midst of that too, um, beginning to open up more emotionally. And that was a big part of Ryan's trajectory too. He had so much gr grief and rage bottled away, as did I. So the more that we unpacked that and um, uh, explored that, the more free we have felt, the more ourselves we have become. Um, and then the set, the other part is um, what was the second part? I wanted to know more about just the talking emotional, about emotional honesty. Like yes, how do we, how yes. do we get how do we get to that? You know, in some ways it seems very simple, emotional honesty. But I think we live in a world, especially yeah. here in West Western culture, where emotions. So there's like the good emotions and the bad emotions. And like, yes. hey, let's try to create as many of these and let's push these to the background, sweep these under the rug. And and as we start to even lean into a little bit more emotional honesty, I think what we almost always will find is this reservoir of un unfelt, unexpressed emotion. Yeah. So, you know, for people listening that, that can relate to that, how do we begin to become more graceful with emotions that we've been taught from the very beginning are kind of wrong and bad? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Oh, this is, um, for us, what this looked like in practice, in action, especially that first year to 18 months, uh, Ryan would go literally into the closet. He had a big enough closet he could walk into it. He would just have a rage ritual. He would do, he would do something, whatever he was feeling triggered by, whatever was rubbing him wrong after we would have a fight or one of the kids would piss him off. He would go in there and do this whole process that involved a mental process, but first the embodied expression of it. And um, that was that was a huge part of the the journey for him. For me, I did something similar, but in my own kind of flow. And uh, I just gave myself space to feel angry and to be okay with being angry, be okay with being sad, disappointed, frustrated. Um, I and and to almost like my visual in my mind was like I'm holding this anger as it's as a little baby bird 
that I just want to love and protect and take care of and just be with. And why would I, why would I judge this baby bird as bad? You know, why would I want to throw it off the cliff and be like, go away? Like, no, I, it, it wants to be seen. It needs to be heard. It needs to be just loved. And so little by little, the more that that was practiced by both of us, right? In our own individual little containers for ourselves, um, the more emotionally honest we could be with each other also. And then that's a whole other learning curve where you learn how to communicate your heart without blaming or projecting and judging. Um, but it really does begin with being being radically honest with ourselves and giving ourselves space to feel whatever needs to be felt. Mm. And I can so clearly hear and feel the the kind of parenting that you're doing around these emotional states that that were so hard. And and it makes yeah. me, it reminds me and, and and allows me to kind of tune into wherever we have an aversion to emotion, wherever we don't have room for emotion or or a capacity for emotion reflects to us almost always where where our parents weren't willing or able to be a safe space for that emotion. Yes. And so and and so then we learn of, of very intuitively, oh my that anger isn't safe here. Yeah. I'm not I'm not allowed or able to be anger angry here in a way that's held well. And then of course that capacity which we we rely on our parents to provide for us doesn't develop in us. And then as adolescents and adults, we're we're essentially four or eight or twelve years old in relation to our anger. Yes. And and that's really problematic. So, you know, I just love the transparency that you share through. Um, how do you support people? You know, if someone comes to you and, and maybe they they loved uh, a really sexy, juicy video that that they saw of you or or just, you know, a piece of writing that that brought them to life, but now they want to do some of that deeper, darker work. Like how do you start to guide someone? How do you create a container for them to start leaning into these emotions in a in a powerful, kind of transformative way? Well, the number one thing I would encourage them to do is use the raw material that life gives them. So it, this is the real embodiment work, right? It's, it's not just, let me go into a room and see what I can muster up. There is that too. I still, every single day, show up to my space. It's my sacred ritual. It's my sacred space of what's coming alive in me. And okay, it's more of, a, more of an instantaneous connection and awareness now than it was you know, seven, eight years ago. But it's still that same practice. It's a, it's a devotional act. Um, to myself, connecting to love. Um, but I would say, you know, just having, um, for example, let's say I have kids. Ample opportunities right there. <laughs> Raising a kid or multiple kids, you're going to have oh, so many opportunities. So when you feel that, um, for example, the mom guilt, oh my God, or dad guilt. I mean, every parent has got it in some way. Like uh, you snap at your kid. And then afterwards, like, ah, oh, man, I feel bad because we hadn't really seen each other all afternoon and spent time together. And the first attention I give them is reprimanding them or getting mad at them for spilling their ice cream. <laughs> and it's it's like, okay, where can I first just be with the discomfort of the guilt? And in that moment, you practice just noticing that you feel the guilt. A lot of adults, to be honest, don't even recognize that they're feeling guilt. So if you just recognize that it's alive in you in that moment, 
that's a huge step. That's bringing awareness to what's actually happening. And then, um, and then just being with that, like, you don't have to talk yourself out of it. You don't have to justify why you're a good parent anyway. It's just being with it and kind of noticing how it's moving through your body. I really like to work with these subtleties of energetics and just noticing what it feels like alive in the body. And maybe I'll go move my body a little bit and just something as simple as just shaking it out and just feeling like, oh, that's a nice reset. Doing some rhythmic breathing, deep breathing, recentering your nervous system and then coming back. And I think a big step that a lot of us will miss. So in that example with the child is acknowledging it and committing, acknowledging and recommitting because that's reclaiming our integrity. So it's coming back and saying, hey, um, mommy got a little mad. And I'm frustrated and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything bad. I just felt oh, I just got a little angry and, and it's okay to get angry. And here's the thing I'm going to, uh, whenever I get frustrated with you, um, here's what I'm going to do differently next time. Like next time, let's just sit down and eat the ice cream and not walk around with it when it's already complete liquid. <laughs> this is a real example, by the way. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and I mean, you're talking about the repair. And then yes. everyone that's spoken about relationships and personal development that I respect, anyone that, that I feel like really knows what they're talking about, they, they are really clear. The idea of trying to avoid any kind of conflict or rupture is a fool's errand. Like just it's impossible. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do the best we can. Yeah. It just means we're invariably going to hurt each other. Yeah. And, not even and meaning the to. relationships that are strong, the relationships that really make it are relationships where we're deeply committed to the repair process. Mm -hmm. Once yeah. we realize, oh, shit, like, yeah, I, that wasn't a way I wanted to show up here. I lost it. I didn't take care. Here's here's what happened. I, I'm sorry. And here's what I'm going to do moving forward. And it, of course, it's powerful with children, but but it's just as powerful with our partners or the people oh, yeah. that are close to us. Like to, to commit to that, that repair is so crucial. And there's one more piece that you shared there that I, I'd like to kind of bring into that conversation of repair. You, you use the word devotion. And, and, and I believe that you know, to all frame kind of what that means to me, obviously it can be an act, but also for me, devotion is like a recognition of, of the value of something that you see something as sacred or high in value. And then you, your actions are devoted to that value. And <clears throat> I believe one of the challenges that we face in the world, but also in our intimate relationships is we've kind of lost touch with what's worth being devoted to. Like we've yeah. asked and the average person struggling in their relationship, like what, what, what's worth devoting to, or what, what do you want to be devotional towards? Yeah. They would struggle to articulate that. So I wonder if you could speak a bit about that. And, and then I'd love to get into maybe some more practical pieces. You talked about Joe Dispenza, who I love, um, but any, any things that you think might be real catalysts for people to, to maybe reconnect with that, object of devotion or, or even just a devotional flavor in their life. And then I think that'll lead us in a really fruitful direction. Yes. So when I think of devotion, I, I had so much resistance to that word. I've got to give you some backstory here because I grew up in a very, I grew up in uh, the Midwest in the Southern Baptist church. And for me, what I was taught devotion was basically synonymous with martyrdom and self-sacrifice and your desires are not only unimportant, but sinful and irrelevant and a distraction. 
your heart is going to deceive you. You know, just all these things. This is all part of what I had to really unpack because that was not even the heart of the real message. The real message was always love and it was delivered with fear. So it got a little tainted along the way, as you can imagine. Um, and I see the perfection in how everything unfolded in my life. So this is, I see that as like, that's exactly how I needed to grow up. Uh, and, but, but devotion, the way that I experience devotion and I see it is I, I am a devotee of love. And that love can take so many different forms. Sometimes being in devotional service to love is me being, um, giving myself more space to dance and move my body and feel, experience the divine in that way. Sometimes it's going out of my way to make my husband a cup of coffee or a cup of tea that he didn't ask for, but I know that he would really appreciate. Sometimes it's going out of my way to do something special for one of the kids when I know that they really want to spend more time with me and he wants to play a board game and he didn't ask for it either. But, you know, it's it's really following that inner guidance of where love is guiding you. To me, that is the deepest, highest expression of devotion because it's not to a person, it's to a it's to the fullest expression of me being in integrity with myself. And for me to be in integrity with myself, then I am deeply attuned to that voice of love and truth more than I am distracted by the ego and the fears. Yeah, I just want to say one thing about that and then keep going because I feel like you're on a roll. But you know, the way you just framed that the, the, you're devoted to love, which is this, it's very, it's broad, it's profound, but it's impersonal. And in a real way, I think if we're genuinely devoted to something like love, then the people in our lives and our relationships are just our, our moment by moment opportunities to fulfill that. Yeah. So th they're the excuse we have. Oh, yeah. here's where I get to be devoted to love. And then in particular, where it's most difficult with the people close to us, yeah. To me, that's where the real depth and value of love gets to come through. So I just wanted to kind of throw yes. that piece in because then then we can make sense of like, oh, right now I don't like you, yeah, but I can still okay. love you. Yeah. 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 I think this is where a lot of people get caught up whenever they see my posts, for example. They're like, oh, but I can be devoted to love, keep my heart open to love when my partner just betrayed me or they just did something that was not okay. And so, and I, I get it. I get it. No, I don't think that a lot of people speak this language in this way. So I would be equally confused. <laughs> but but it's, no, you, even when you and your partner are just completely disconnected and you still keep your heart open to love, you might be in closure to them. But as long as you're open to love and you're like divine source of love, like, like, I'm open to being purified of whatever the bullshit is that I'm buying into. Like, please show it to me. Where are the clouds in the way of my vision? And so that's the that's the openness to love, the openness of the heart and the devotion to love that really, really matters. Um, because if you devote yourself to a person and that's where you're really de fully devoting your heart um, without that peace, uh, you, you're just going to be, you're going to, you're going to be let down. And wonder, well, and also feel like uh, there's an expectation and an obligation there. There's an attachment there. Because then that person is ob obliged to do the same for you. And that's not love. That's a, something else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like that, that piece you just said there, if you make it wholly about them 
and and whatever expectations you bring to the table around what they need to be then to to kind of honor you or to to be a match for for the love that you're giving them you're always going to run into places where at least it doesn't feel that way and then often where it isn't that way and how do you reconcile how do you reconcile that you've made your whole the, the whole kind of container and the whole reason for you to be a loving person in the world is contingent on someone else not being authentically them essentially is yeah. what that ends up being because because authenticity doesn't always feel warm and fuzzy and and again i think you, you mentioned this just in, in how you opened this conversation um we have a lot of ideas about what these words mean and and of course most of what the words that we use are pointing to has so much more depth and breadth than than the definition that we have for these words right that yeah. most of it's mystery actually most yeah. of the, most of the words we use are pointing to something that has mostly mystery in it that's an endless discovery and the word okay. is just a, a jumping off point to be like oh i kind of know where you're pointing and i think that's a, yeah. a much more helpful way to use language where where we don't make assumptions that the word and whatever my implicit sense of what that word means is is the whole story so like that right. brings us to assumptions which i think is i think a neat place to to dig into a little bit um what's been your relationship with assumptions and and how do you feel we can work with those things because we'll never get rid of them we're always going to try to oh, fill yeah. in spaces that we <laughs> don't yet have clarity about but how do we start to work with our biases and assumptions in a way that that is supportive over the long term I think one of the easiest, most accessible points to really begin there, exploring the assumptions, uh, because you're right, we do, our brains are just naturally brilliant at that. I didn't get the entire message, so I'm going to fill in the gaps. This is why one of the most foundational tools that we learned when we first got into the coaching world was, what did you hear in that? <laughs> because literally what I said and what you heard could be completely different. And so <clears throat> one of the, the easiest um, access points is when you start to feel that tension between you and your partner, for example, and you, and that's when you realize like, oh, they, or I, I did not, um, uh, I must have not understood what they actually meant because our reactions to this are not, there's like, there's some kind of, it's not matching up. Um, for example, the, like most, uh, the most recent one that I can think of is um, one time Ryan came in and, and a friend needed some help with something. And he had texted him and we already had plans to watch a movie with the family. It's hard enough to get six people organized when they don't have a date with the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the play dates and holiday things, whatever. And and he said, um, you know, I already told him that I could help him. Um, but, you know, if uh, if you really want me to stay, I'll just, I'll just tell him no. I can tell him no. And I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought I heard my preference is I go. What's your preference? So I was like, oh, just tell him no. And that was not what he meant at all. What's funny is that now we're not used to having as many of those moments. So when they happen, they really stand out. And uh, for him, it was big. Like his heart was drawing him like, I want to go help my friend. And, I, and he experienced me as just saying, your heart doesn't matter. So, you know, it's those moments where you see like, wow, there's a disconnect there. What did I assume? Because that's really the place to go to. I, it's okay. He assumed some things too, but then we get to communicate about it. But what did I assume in that? What did I understand? And how can we come to like bridge the disconnection there? 
and make the acknowledgements along the way again, right? Because there's a repair process, even though we didn't mean to hurt each other, it wasn't malicious, it still happened. So, um, so yeah, I hope that just seeing the misunderstandings is a big way. Yeah, I mean, first, I think you, you need to be willing and even interested in seeing those those pieces, right? Seeing yeah. where we've missed the mark, seeing where we've uh, unnecessarily or unconsciously been projecting onto things. And it brings up something that I often use in, in how I speak about communication and relationship or the work I do with people. And, and it's this idea of representative meaning, right? We have an experience, something is said, something is done. And the representative meaning of that for me and you is different, right? So for me, it represents, and of course, this is connected to our childhood. So yeah. if I was always interrupted and, and where my voice was kind of shut down or stifled, then anything that feels at all like that to me will represent, oh, my voice doesn't matter here. Yes, exactly. I don't matter here. Yeah. Right. And so, so that's where we can, and this is what we're doing with our partners, especially all the time is, you know, we're touching those tender young parts of them and then feeling really upset and resentful that they're being so reactive. And it's like, well, yeah. of course. Yeah. And, 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 and the, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about how challenging it is to know, like we are these flawed, fallible, beautiful human beings with tender, tender hearts and all of this kind of protective covering that we've created to try to manage and cope with the pain and vulnerability of life. And then here we're together because we long to be in, in intimate connection with each other. Yeah. And meanwhile, we're hurting each other. And, and, and there's always, almost always this combination of there's something real and true about what I'm feeling and what I'm reacting to and, and my behavior. Yeah. And there's something kind of false and illusory and, and dysfunctional about it. And same on your side. Yeah. And now we have to try to kind of weave and navigate our way through to the threads of truth and the threads of joy and 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 love and connection with all of these other threads. I like to talk about like signal and noise, sort of a radio radio terms, right? Some yeah. of, some of what's coming through the speaker is just nonsense, <laughs> and some of it is real signal, and it's exceedingly difficult especially when we feel emotionally triggered yes. to discern the difference between the signal and the noise. So yeah. anything you want to say about that and, and for people that kind of can relate or are nodding their heads about feeling that way, like, wow, there's so much mess and noise here, but I also know that we're both these human beings that, that aren't trying to hurt each other and genuinely want things to go well. And how do we find our way back to something that has a real signal in it? And then can we use that as a kind of guiding light to make our way through the the mess <laughs> yeah the mess it's the I, I think of it as like the clouds in the way and that doesn't mean that the clouds are not real but they're they're obscuring our vision of the sun and we can think like oh there's no sun no it's there we're just there's some stuff in the way so um often when we're having those moments of like you know just heightened emotion and we're just you know we're resisting each other fighting and conflict the more it escalates it's recognizing first for me okay we're not communicating as our sovereign selves here we're communicating as 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 wounded children as as kids that are like no see me see me i can't see you until you see me and so we get caught in that cycle of of blaming justifying our actions while villainizing them for theirs um and just seeing that for what it is and not judging that as that because as long as I was judging my wounded inner child for being wounded, 
you know, it, like, uh, why are you still like this? How, how long do you need to just heal the thing? You know, like, are you, uh, can't you get over it? You've been doing this work for how many years? But it's just really bringing that compassion to ourselves. And the more we build that capacity for our own little selves that get scared sometimes, they just do. The more we can just see that and observe that, be a loving witness of that in our partners. And so in that case of um, the other night when uh, when we had that whole thing with the with him wanting to go and then me just kind of, well, it's not a big deal. Um, there were these certain things that were activated in each of our little selves, right? That at different times, we kind of ping pong and he can be more in his embodied, grounded self, seeing a bigger truth and hold that space while I'm just kind of like expressing my fears. And I tell him this, um, I know that it's not true. Like I know in the depths of my heart and my gut that what I'm saying here that I'm afraid of is not true, but it's real. The feeling of the fear is real. The feeling of abandonment is real. But I know that it's not true that you actually abandoned me. So being able to say that to ourselves and actually vocalize that and express that to each other is powerful because then we can hold space for the paradox of both. It's like my body is working some stuff out. My little self, my ego self, my scared self is working through some stuff. And I also recognize that this is part of the illusion. This is not This is not the, the truth truth, the big T truth. It's just something that we got to work through. And I'm going to give it space to work through that. Um, and depending on how heightened it is, sometimes we need to do that on our own. Instead of trying to bring that to our partners up front and then just, just like emotion vomiting on them. Um, there's a lot more to say about that. There's a lot of nuance in that. People can use holding space as a justification for um, basically verbally abusing each other. And that's not okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, there's so much in that, in that one little pocket right there that we could explore. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about the, the showing up when, when we feel triggered, when, when we're feeling, um, most like we need to protect and to remain vulnerable in that. I think that's like the relationship superpower of them all. Yeah. Um, because I like to say like, everyone's a sweetheart when they're getting what they want. Yes. Um, so that doesn't, that doesn't say much and it doesn't mean much uh, to our relationships that we're nice when we're getting the things that we want, but how do we show up when we're not feeling great, when we're not getting the things we want, when our tender spots are being kind of poked at. Yeah. And, and so, you know, maybe you can share a little bit about what's helped you do that, um, outside of what we've already discussed. And, and where I'd like to go is, you know, for those people that can relate, which is, you know, I think all of humanity can relate to the conversation we're having right now. Um, but, you know, where do we start, especially some people are blessed with community and, and lots of mentors and, and people that are supporting them um, online. Maybe now there's more of that for, for people that have felt isolated in the past, but but there's still, for me, a disconnect between real embodied community that's sort of built to support our journey and where most people find themselves. So say a little bit more about your your journey of, of learning how to stay open and vulnerable when you feel most triggered. And, and what would you say to people that are, are wanting to set out on this journey, but don't immediately have you know a list of people or, or places they feel like they can go to to, 
to get support and mentorship in this way. Yeah. I mean, as far as the first part with staying vulnerable in those moments of feeling the pain, right? For whatever that, whatever that pain is coming from, however it's expressing itself. Um, first, my go-to, if it's really intense, then I will, I will literally come into this room. Usually it's this room. And I will, I will go through these processes somatically with my body, like just feeling and moving. And there's certain playlists that I have for different emotional spaces that I'm in. Um, and just giving that space to come through. Sometimes it's just a matter of just, just like working that energy through the body. And then it feels like a big sigh of relief. Sometimes that and, and, and doing some, some raging out and crying, just that, again, energetic cleansing helps to bring uh, enough clarity that I can see and feel into the deeper wisdom. Because the anger is not bad. Again, the anger is very secret. The anger is a message too. So when you get deeper into it, it's, okay, what is that higher initiation that I'm being called to? What am, what What is it that this, uh, maybe there's a, a boundary that I'm not honoring in myself. Maybe there's something that I have been withholding, speaking up about, and it's not really him that I'm angry at. It's me. Or it's not my kid I'm mad at. It's, it's me. <clears throat> so having that space, first of all, I think is is absolutely uh, crucial. And Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Can you remember like early on, young childhood, later childhood, early adolescence, doing something similar? Like where you feel like stuck, overwhelmed, and you kind of find a private space to kind of be in? Like does that... Yeah. Does that kind of. Kind of. Not exactly because I wasn't... Big emotions of any kind were just extremely uncomfortable and not welcome. It's just they just didn't know. They didn't know what to do. So huge amounts of joy felt as as uncomfortable as big feelings of being mad. So just right. intensity was was scary. But I, it was music for me. I would listen to music. I would ride my bike like those. Or I would go roller skating. That's how I would process things. <laughs> yeah. So the reason the reason I bring that up is that you know for some people the going to a room and playing music and, and moving your body, I think that's good for everyone. But some people, that will be an easier kind of rhythm or routine to add yes. to their life if they did something in that neighborhood when they were little. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like, their body so remembers there's, there's it. There's all of these kind of neurological and behavioral pathways that are already established. Yes. And the easiest way to begin to intervene in some of these more automated kind of what we might call negative patterns is to employ something that's already established that allows us to kind of intervene or, or kind of get yeah. off that track. And yeah. so so I'm just encouraging people that are listening if 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 what Lucy just framed feels like something oh like I could do that great. If it feels like something you you couldn't naturally or easily do, maybe do a little bit of of referencing or reflecting on like when you were really overwhelmed or upset as a child, what helped and worked for you. And you can adapt something that's a little bit more similar to that, but that gives yeah. you some room and some safety and some opportunity to be in and then express the emotion that's there. Ultimately, we want to be able to do that in real time with the people that we're in relationship with. Yeah. And along the journey, it's good to have people, pockets, and and, and activities that, that help us do that 
in a safe container that, that the other person may not be ready, willing, or able to provide. So I just wanted to yes. kind of throw that piece in. No, exactly. And that's such a good point because the body does remember these processes more than our mind, our memory will remember. So if something feels like, oh yeah, then that makes sense. You know, that's why when I go outside and I, I go out and take a walk and, and listen to music, you know, not listen to a podcast to try to get more information and to try to figure the problem, you know, but to to just something that encourages that that feeling to just really fully express itself. And to your point too, initially, this was true for us. Initially, there was no, um, we didn't have the capacity to experience that in each other without either shutting down or becoming extremely dysregulated ourselves. So the more that you do this and you can do this in more real time with your partner and around other people, um, that practice again of your body knowing what that feels like and that it's safe to do that here and that it's also not necessary to um, to do it in this way. Like for me, I don't need to scream my head off, you know, at Ryan. <laughs> I don't need to do that to express to him the pain that I'm feeling. So these are things that we just learned through the practice of it, putting in the reps. Oh, and community piece, the community piece. Um, online, yes, I would say um, for me personally, a lot, if not all of them, actually. Yeah, but just about all of the people that are in our community, our close circle, initially were met online, like through through like-minded interests in a multitude of things that we're you know interested in and that we value and then we've gotten to meet in person and then we've gotten to build these communities in person and that's what's really cool about the reach of online um, communities is that you can really bring people together in person that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten to meet um another thing is just being open to being more ourselves in context that we assume we can have assumptions is not okay so gatherings with parents from the school, birthday parties, and just things like that, community events where we think, okay, well, this is not a wild feminine embodiment event, right? So I'm not going to talk about this and I can't be that and I can't wear this. But when you are being more yourself in the places that you are already going, you tend to be like magnets to these people that actually are in your realm, you know, and and it gives them more permission too, to um, let that part of themselves be seen. And you'd be surprised how how much community you can build that way too. Totally, and I also want to just bring forward the the idea. If if you're not already thinking about it, you're listening to this. Um, I believe the internet is powerful and beautiful in a lot of ways, and it also because of how it's built and what it's what it's motivated by. Most of most of what the kind of online environment is motivated by has us seeing and interacting with the kind of lowest common denominator of, of humanity. And it easily gives us a picture that things are worse than they are. That yeah. people are less open and less sensitive and less healthy than they are. Um, and when I, you know, I, I spent t t 10 months last year in an RV with my family traveling across North America. And I, I had zero negative interactions with people like there was just beautiful generous open-hearted people everywhere we went and it was really heartening for me to because even me i have lots of perspective i have lots of you know i'm able to kind of 
reference things to to clarify when I'm when I'm off the mark in terms of maybe negativity bias or anything like that. But I still had this picture of like, wow. Before we left, I thought, uh, you know, what's it going to be li- like out there? Are, are people going to be mean? Is it going to be unsafe? And it just wasn't yeah. that. And you no, know, I'm not trying to paint everything with rose-colored glasses, but um, I do, I do see and believe that that the degree to which we're isolated and and interacting with the world through this online environment um, gives us uh, inaccurate picture of of who's out there and and where the world is really at. So just kind of giving yeah. people permission to to put down whatever filter or lens might be existing there in terms of just a negative sense of the world and a negative sense of trying to reach out across you know divides and, and then create relationship where it currently doesn't exist that my experience has just been so pervasively positive when I when I yeah. get over myself and I reach out and I step out into the world um, and of course, you know, we, we tend to find what we're showing up with. So that's a piece as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, I just I just think that part is so important for us to remember because we're now so habituated. Most of us are so habituated to devices and to to online environments as our primary place to to experience the outside world. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it's, then when we show up in those places that we already show up in in the outside world, like just the grocery store or dropping off the kids at school to really make it a practice of seeing people that you see all the time through that lens of love instead of through the okay let me just like get through this so i can get through the next part of my day and that's an expanded awareness of the love that's right there that's available the connections that are you know people's hearts right there in front of you uh that's something i actually learned from ryan because he he's always been so much more naturally in tune with people's emotions and hearts <laughs> Like it was like too much that like you would have to, you know, protect that, not over again. Um, but yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about what's hard and, and sort of the dark corners, which I love, you know, I want to get into that, but I also want to make sure, especially for those listening that might be in a place where they just feel like, whoa, this is just never ending darkness, you know, the, in the weeds of the dark night of the soul perpetually. <laughs> and for someone who's been in hard places that, that you know, I'm not saying that life is all easy and, 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 and you know, rainbows and, and lollipops for you now, but um, it seems to me that you've, you've managed to ground into a perspective like you, you that, that analogy, which I love is like the clouds are there. You can't see or feel the sun. It's still there knowing it's still there makes a difference in how yeah. you show up for the storm. So, you know, tell people a little bit about what they can expect. Like if they really earnestly show up for these dark, difficult, painful pieces, what does that then instill in us? What does that then grow in us? What does that then make possible for us? Yeah. Well, that brings to mind something that um, I have actually a client asked to set me a, a, a reel of somebody, a couple that was just talking loving each other and it just seemed like the relationship is perfect and she said i tell myself that this is what you and ryan's relationship is like i was like i get it i get it and the truth is that it does feel like that but it's not perfect but it's perfect for us the way that everything ebbs and flows is perfect if if by perfect you mean there's never any challenge there's never any conflict there's never any difference of opinion there's never any assumption there's never any moments of feeling like, oh, you don't see me. That doesn't exist. But what you can look forward to 
is a sense of genuine peace. And there's a difference between feeling at peace about whatever life may bring and with that comes a trust. A trust in yourself, a trust in your union, a trust in the flow of life, a trust in the just the universe itself, that divine source that it's like, okay, I don't see all of the picture. I don't see all of the details. And I, I'm just choosing to trust and stay open to love. So the biggest word that stands out to me is um, is that peace. And there is no, um, again, it's one of those words that it's, it's like, it's just a word, right? It can just be a word. And we have all these assumptions that peace is like, oh, you know, everything is peaceful and still, but it doesn't mean stillness. It's a, it's a, um, a way of life of surrender to what is. And when you live in that way, the things that do come, they're like little waves, they're waves that can wash over you. And then you can be, and then you can just keep, keep, keep surfing by or keep like whatever you're doing in the water. I don't know. Instead of feeling like you're constantly held under by the wave and you can't breathe that you're like, oh my God, when will it be over? I think I'm going to die. That was me one time when I went surfing. I, I went out on too big of a day. <laughs> I was like, I might die today. Oh, but I made it. Um, but you see, there's a whole different experience. The waves are still being the waves. The ocean is still being what it's designed to do, what it's designed to bring. But, but it's our experience that it changes. And so therefore, the whole energy of it changes. So there's less like, why is this happening to me again? And more like, oh, look at that. Here this is again. I wonder what that's trying to teach me. I wonder what what I'm being invited into. Yeah, the the analogy of the body of water I think is so apt there. And what I often think about uh, is it's like our inner world is a, a body of water. And sometimes it's serene and calm and sometimes it's a torrent. But we are not the the body of water. We are a, a kind of presence in the midst of that water. Yeah. And so the piece that I hear you speaking about is a way of being with whatever the water is doing. If the water is calm, then you are calm and at peace with that calmness. And if the water is a torrent, you can still be calm and at peace in the midst of the torrent. And that's a kind of meta yeah. presence that that is is just it's just a kind of idea until you know it do you know what i mean it's yes. like yeah. you can have an awakening or some kind of breakthrough where you get it like psychedelics i think are a place where yes. a lot of people can oh, relate another thing that you has just, been big yeah, for us. yeah. There, there are depths and presences that that you're not always tuned into but they're there and then once you really know they're there it's like the sun you you always know that it, it can get as dark as it wants to and you know the sun is still there so, yeah. so I just wanted to bring that piece forward, this idea that there's a part of you that can always choose how it is with the nature of what is currently unfolding. And when yeah. we know that and we we kind of get that on a deep level and commit to it, we become in a certain way unstoppable. Like Then the circumstances and the inner states of our experience no longer limit what we can show up with. And, yeah, you know, we. I mean, we could have a whole podcast just talking oh about God, yes. that. But I was just thinking. I, the I wanted same to. Thing. I wanted to bring that piece forward. Um, another thing I wanted to ask, <clears throat> like mother of four, 
with what looks like 14 different careers. (laughs) I'm curious, like, how is it for you now? And can you share anything about, I think uh, what I'm really asking is like your journey, like, did you start as like, you just wanted to be an artist, but then it became clear you had something more to share. And then the coaching came, like, I want to know a little bit more about the story because you do so many things and, and, and you look like you really give your heart to them all. So uh, yeah. yeah, I want to know a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, um, well, for as far back as I can remember, it's always been about that connection to the magic for me. And so I've accessed that and felt that experience, that aliveness in different ways. And But the two ways that really stood out to me growing up was was music. You know, I found so much freedom in music and so much just like, oh, this is me. Like, this makes me remember some part of myself, you know? Um even though I wasn't allowed to listen to a lot of the music that I really wanted to listen to, but I would do it anyways. <laughs> so that was like my secret. Um, and the second thing was fitness-related things. And I was very intrigued. My father was into bodybuilding. I was very intrigued by just the, the physical body. And I actually, when I went to college, I studied, um, I got my Bachelor of Science in uh, Exercise Science. And I studied kinesiology, just all that stuff. How does the body work? How does it, you know, process things? And, and then I also studied music technology. So um, I was half a credit shy of getting my second degree, but I, was, I had a baby and a husband and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I just want to be out of here. Um, but those were the two things that really, really, you know, were connected with me the most. Now, I had a sense, a deep sense long ago in my childhood that my voice was the key to whatever my purpose is in this life. But I assumed that it was my singing voice. I assumed that it would be, yeah, me as a performer, as a singer. So I really focused, I hyper-focused on that. Um, There was a lot of trauma loaded into that as well, because when my father, I won't get into the whole story, but that really set me off into really focusing on music as a means of not having to feel my pain. but that was ironically the place that I had the most permission to feel my pain too was through through song. Um, but eventually there came a point where I, I started to get more, um, feel more drawn to helping people with some deeper things and just exploring. The more that I explored that within myself, the more it naturally started to connect with others. So um, when I started coaching people, it, be, it started with fitness, fitness with like some life stuff. You know, it's like, I guess if you had to put a title, it's like a fitness and life coach. <laughs> and we're, why are you really not working out? Like, what's going on in your life? You know, that kind of thing. So it was already kind of out there and weird and people. But it, it felt right. And it just evolved over time to being more focused on family, relationships, sexuality, um, spiritual mentorship mixed in there as well. So um, just as my journey has continued, my approach to everything that I do, whether it's music, performing, um, creating content, coaching people, events, all that. It's just an expression of who I am. So I don't really think about how much I'm doing or what I'm doing. To me, it's all art. And to me, it's all an expression of my devotion to love and whatever's coming to life. I love that. Uh, and just so you know, I coached professionally for a number of years. So if we if we get a chance to chat again, which I would love to, uh, that's maybe a place we can go as well. I, I love the body and movement, and and yeah. really mastery is is a big part of what draw me drew me to sport. Um, mm. What does it mean to 
mastered the, the realm of movement. And uh, yeah, there's so many parallels between, you know, even high performance sport and, and yeah. the most kind of intense and relevant aspects of life. I think there's lots to cross pollinate there. Yeah, there is. <laughs> so for those people listening uh, that have been enjoying the conversation as much as me, uh, is there anything you'd like to say? And, you know, and, and people are going to be coming to the podcast in lots of different places and, and stages of relationship. But it, yeah. is, are there any kind of takeaways or kind of central, maybe North Star points that you would give that will help people in navigating um, what's most difficult, but also what's most beautiful about this life? Mm. In life, but not necessarily in the relationship. Well, I mean, it's a relationship podcast, but I'm just giving you kind of space to share. It's sort of like when you were in a challenging time, what would you oh, want yes. to hear? Like you could speak to that part of you and I'm sure you'll reach the audience. Yeah. Um, ooh. I think back on the toughest times and I recognize how much I judged myself and therefore also judged where I was in life. Like this is my fault, but also who can I blame? <laughs> and also what am I not doing enough? I must not be doing enough as a mom or enough in my business or enough in my marriage. I must not be sexy enough. I must not be desirable enough. Like just really all of that sneaky self-judgment and beneath that, the shame that my body had internalized. If I could tell my myself at that time something, I would say, you know, that you're you're exactly who you are supposed to be. And there's nothing bad about this part of you that wants to be selfish right now. There's nothing bad about this part of you that's being reactive and, and angry and feels hurt. And let's just let's just be here and love it. Let's just be here and experience like I like to do this kind of parts work too. This maybe gives a practical step that somebody can try out there. Where, for example, if there's this part of me that feels really angry about a particular thing every time it comes up, I will sit with her as if she was another me and just notice what she'd like. Like, how is she dressed? How is she holding herself? Like, how is she carrying herself? How does she talk? And just listen to her and just love her and just give her pure, unconditional love. Not question her and, you know, try to get her to change, but just being with her and listening to her and um, asking her, what does she feel? What does she need to feel safe with me? Hey. And it's just something that simple that actually was literally a thing that I did a lot in those early years of doing this work. I've brought a lot more self-compassion. Um, and released a lot of that judgment. Yeah, well, thank you for that work. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your creativity. Uh, thank you for taking the time with us today. Uh, I had a great time. I would love to do it again. Know that I'll, I'll keep kind of reaching out from time to time and, and hopefully we can we can do it again. Um, for those that want more, Lucy, uh, where is best for them to find you? I am at uh, lucylampy.com. That's my main site where I have all the current offerings and things updated. Uh, and then on Instagram at Lucy Lampy. And I'm also on TikTok at Lucy Lampy Official. And I'll keep uh, the, the link for your website. I'll make sure is in the, the show notes for the, for the podcast. Perfect. Thank you, Dolphin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, maybe we could go in. We could go on all day. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So we may get into three and four hour podcasts. And when we do, yeah. I'll let you know. 
Uh, for those that joined <laughs> us, thank you for being here. We look forward to sharing more with you soon. And until next time, friends, love well. you watching the Best Relationship Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe. You can also go and check out so much more content about relationships over at relationflix.com. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I can't wait to share more with you as we go. And until next time, love well.